0: No, sir. <laughs>
1: everything I could. I uh, guess as a matter of fact, now that you bring it up, uh, the
2: additive was uh, specifically uh, three parts carbon, five parts hydrogen, one part nitrogen, and
1: three parts oxygen. Spider blood, spider blood, radioactive spider blood,
0: and Can I do that? Welcome to 3rd and Nerd, the show that breaks down everything nerd culture with a little sport thrown in. On the show, you'll hear discussions about the latest superhero movies, TV shows, and comics as well. You'll even hear interviews from the artists and writers who helped create the characters you know and love. So strap on your super suits and fire up your flux capacitors, because here are your hosts, Josh Webb and Adam Howes. Hey, everybody,
1: and welcome to an all-new 3rd Nerd. Uh, We are doing something quite different on this show. We're going to have two different segments, two different people. Uh, And I am starting out the show having a conversation with, you could call her a, 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 a DC writer, but 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 really it extends beyond that. Uh, she has written for Al Gore. She has done sketch comedy. She has done TV, worked for Oprah Winfrey Network, Sci-Fi, Hulu. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to list the whole thing. She's got a damn website, but but the, the point is here, this might be the most accomplished person we've done on this podcast. <laughs> uh, and uh, I will introduce her as Amanda Skag. <laughs> As that is her name, but on Twitter She has goes by Amanda DiBert, Which may be how you know her If you're into the social media thing And she is online 24-7 So Amanda First off, I hope I got everything right And thank you for taking the time To talk some comics and representation today Thank you so
3: much That was an amazing uh, intro I will say, I just go by Amanda DiBert Professionally, so Amanda is is fine And how anyone would know me Um and yeah, thank you. That was an incredible intro. I feel really good about myself now.
1: <laughs> you should. I mean, I feel good about it. Um, I kinda wanna get into so so the industry, I imagine we because we've gone through while we we we've definitely not achieved what we want following the Me Too era, even close to it. I imagine the industry was a lot different when you started than it is today. It's sort of like technology, it just it moves at such a pace. For, from 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 where we are or where we were when you started to where we are now what sort of positive changes have you seen and and maybe like what are one or two ways that you think we've gone maybe backwards since that since seems to be the theme of the day um you know i think
3: um i think in general the the positive that i've noticed which overwhelmingly has been positive uh is just that people seem to be more aware of, of women in the industry, of all kinds of minorities in the industry, of you know, L- LGBTQ people in the industry, um, of which I am one. I, I, you know, We've always been there. You know, as long as, as, as comic books have been around, there have been women who have been fans and have been ra- writers and have been artists. I think now, uh, obviously there's, there's more of us but I think even more importantly, um, our existence is, is acknowledged more. Um, it's kind of like we've always been there and now people are just, uh, actually talking about it and, and kind of more aware of it, which I think is great.
1: It feels like it used to almost be a token too, like, you'd have like five guys on a book and then Marie Severin, you know, <laughs> and now we've sort of shifted away from that where you have entire teams of women that are leading books and, and. What do you think the industry has gotten out of that institutionalized change? Because as a fan and and somebody who follows this stuff, I've been keen to see the, the, the stories that are now able to be explored. Like we've done – I was just talking about the Punisher today, so I'll use him as an example. We have seen so many different aspects of Frank Castle's life, his motivations, everything. Like we've explored those to no end. But with some female characters – they're, they're rather one or two-sided, and, and they haven't had that opportunity to get their stories more fleshed out. And now we're starting to get some of that stuff. And, and I feel like, as a fan, for me, I'm getting a ton of perspectives that I never got before. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that there's a resistance to that? I, like, I don't understand why people would be opposed to that sort of change. You're getting better stories. In fact, you're getting more of them. Oh,
3: you know, I think... I think in general, people are just uh, always kind of afraid of change. Like there are always going to be people who fear any kind of change, you know, and, and comic books and superheroes are so beloved that I think people get scared anytime, um, you know, there might be any kind of change to something that they're very passionate about or help shape, shape their childhood. That, that part of things I understand. But I also think that, you know, when, when you're the person who has seen yourself then maybe not always seeing yourself all the time suddenly feels like you're losing something, even though in reality there's still obviously plenty of of stories with, you know, able-bodied superheroes, white superheroes, male superheroes, you know, like all these, all these stories are obviously still predominant um, and and still exist, and opening it up to more characters and more diversity just means there's more for people to read and more for people to experience. But I think sometimes if you're used to everything being all about you, then a moment where something isn't all about you might might feel like a loss somehow. As opposed to going like, "Oh wow, this must be what everyone else feels like all the time." Um, so I, I think it's that. I think that's the the resistance in general. I think most people um, are kind of on board for it. You know, I think it it obviously it benefits not just having you know more diverse characters and stories, which obviously is great and we love because you know it gets tired and boring hearing the same thing all the time so when you add different perspectives you get new fresh stories which is awesome and amazing but also even with the 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 same characters just bringing in bringing in writers with different life life experiences and different points of view is going to add a new and fresh spin on that character you know even you know a lot of the thing a lot of the stories that i write uh, the characters are straight but my experience as a lesbian still shapes who I am and how I approach things. So there's still going to be elements of who I am in every story. So it's, it's still going to give, you know, something different. And I think that that's kind of great.
1: I think it's interesting, because what I'm getting is I'm getting, a, you, you know, you may have a male, like, say, superhero, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know, whatever. Let's just say male, white superhero. But now I'm I'm seeing myself as a male through the eyes of a lesbian. I think, that, mm-hmm. like, it's fantastic. I, I mean... To me, it is another perspective that's, you know, in which somebody else views me. It's a, it's, it's an, it's a unique opportunity to get a look at yourself through, through somebody else's lens. So this argument, and I'm not saying you're wrong because you're definitely right. That's that's how these people feel. But the reality of that argument is that you're not really losing anything. In fact, you're gaining more about you. It is becoming about you because somebody else is writing this perspective from their lens. Uh, about something that you can relate to?
3: absolutely. i the first um the first time I ever wrote Wonder Woman, um my, the first story that I wrote, the the kind of uh, protagonist of the story, the the crux of the story, it revolved around a little boy and uh, and his fandom of Wonder Woman and him getting bullied. And it was really interesting because so many men wrote to me and thanked me for that story because they said they related to it. They felt like that little boy when they were little and like that, you know, they felt like their story was getting told. And that was, that was interesting because obviously, you know, I've never been a little boy. I, you know, I have, I have nephews who I know and love and I definitely wrote that with, with one of my nephews in mind, but it, you know, you're right. It doesn't, it's not a loss. It's a, it's a new way for, for other people to be telling stories and to get a new perspective on even your own, you know, experiences.
1: And what's what I find is fascinating about these stories, like especially you, you talk about using the Wonder Woman and bully like those are the types of stories I generally like in comics where you you blend a bit of the every man, every woman, every person, whatever, you, whatever you'd like to to, to phrase it with the the extraordinary because we i mean everybody wants to be extraordinary but what we, where we really find ourselves is in the every person in the comic the people that these superheroes either save or or don't save or whatever the case may be like this is how we discover what it is we we feel internally like a, a, as a part of ourselves like you said people write to you relating to that bullying aspect like Mm -hmm. I'm curious though when you approach that say you're approaching a male character like how what is your process for that like how how do you get from from lesbian woman to straight boy male like going through bullying like what what is the process I mean you mentioned your nephews obviously he's the inspiration but I imagine there's other you know personal things that you throw in Sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's like with any any writer we you know, with
3: any character, I've never actually been a superhero. I've never been a murderer. Like when I'm when I'm writing horror comics, I've never been a monster or a serial killer or, you know, any of the other things. But, you know, I think the the important thing when you're writing is to always come from a place of truth or honesty. So there's always a bit of you and a bit of the world and a bit of people that you know in every character, you know, because you, you still have to come at it from you know how how a real person would react in that situation, how a real person would would justify or or feel those things. So it always you know it always comes from those aspects in ourselves because we're all kind of multifaceted. We've all had all kinds of experiences. and then I, so mostly it's it's that for me. it's drawing from my own life. It's drawing from the lives of of real people that I know and interact with. and then you know, kind of imagining the circumstances and how would a person, with this set of circumstances, react to this, you know, environment,
1: basically. Now, you, one of the, one of the things you, you share quite a bit, I don't know if my eye just gets attracted to it, because (laughs) I'm kind of attracted to that style of, of art, or that style of comic, but, but it's the really, really simple art design that tends to go with DC superheroes and Zatanna. I, I, What is it that draws you to? Like, I feel like these are comics that have sort of gotten lost to the ages. Like, when I was a child, and and I know you talked about this on Twitter too. Like, when I was a child, like, I, I can count that my first comic book was probably a an archie double digest of some kind mm-hmm. like i would bet dollars to donuts that was my first comic ever picked up because i i still to this day in a box somewhere have so many archie and betty and veronica double digest and triple died like I, I it's absurd but <coughs> those comics used to be for kids and now i feel like comics have sort of shifted to that teen to adult range and the Mm -hmm. kids have sort of lost out on on some of that stuff but but you take joy and pride in that does does a lot of that come from now having your own kid and sort of seeing these things through their eyes and wanting to provide them with a product that they too can enjoy that doesn't have to be about you know necessarily killing people ripping you know things of that nature
3: i i mean absolutely i mean for me i am I am a hardcore fan of, of both. Um, I, you know, I, I love, I write, uh, annually for John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night, which is obviously horror, hardcore, dark, not for kids. Um, and I do some, you know, more traditional adult stuff for, for places like DC and I'm married to a comic book illustrator, Kat Staggs, whose style is very, um, realistic and, uh, you know, much more, I'd say like adult in style. Uh, but at the same time, I am writing, you know, I've written for Teen Titans Go, and right now I'm doing uh, DC Superhero Girls, which is targeted to kids. And you're right, part of it is me being a mom. I love working on stuff that I can actually read to my daughter and show her, and she gets excited about, and that's, you know, fulfilling and satisfying in ways that I can't even explain. It just is beyond to be able to be like, here's your bedtime story that mommy wrote, Um and have her really be into it, and also I just it's a different kind of I probably also you know, like you, I used to get Archie comics as a little girl. they sold them in the grocery store, and that would be like my treat for behaving at the grocery store um, and I have <laughs> such such fond memories of it, and so i love I love the excitement that kids get. I love having things that are so accessible to the kids, like when the kids come up and they have comic books and they're so excited about it it's it's a different kind of. Touching and special than even when like adults come up and are excited as much as I love that. It's so fun to see it through the eyes of children. They're just like their unbridled joy for the characters for the stories, uh, just for the whole thing that I I'm like, I'm a hardcore super fan of both. I think there's room for the kids books and for the the adult books as well.
1: Yeah. And you told a a really cool story on Twitter. Uh, It was like earlier last week or something like that, where you got to, for the first time, have that conversation with your daughter about what, what it is you do for work. Like she asked about it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is something she hadn't done before. And that, and I, that is like, I imagine like, here's, here's a bedtime story that is in, in circulation around the world that mommy wrote. Like, I can't, I mean, I can in some way relate to that because I've written articles, but, like, I don't read my articles as a bedtime story. Nobody nobody cares about my sports team articles as a bedtime story. It just doesn't have the same, uh, what do you call it, ability to exist in perpetuity, I suppose. Right. Uh, But – yeah, I, I kind of, I'm curious, what what was your favorite part of, of the Archie comics growing up? I mean, you had Little Jinx, you had, you know, Sabrina, you had the, you know, Josie and the Pussycats.
3: Oh, I was, I was a Betty and Veronica fan from the beginning. I mean, um, probably the young lesbian in me was very drawn to that anyway, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I really... I was always most excited when I could just get like a Betty and Veronica digest. Like that was always my jam. I had a super big crush on Veronica without really understanding that that's what was going on. Um, But in retrospect, hardcore crush on Veronica. Um, So that was always, always kind of my favorite.
1: I think I was team Jughead and team Veronica. And I used to be team Betty, but I sort of switched over to Veronica because I admired her moxie. Like yeah. Veron- like when you're younger you appreciate the laissez faire policy that Betty has like mm-hmm. you you see Veronica is uptight when you get older you're like no Veronica's trying to lock down a man she is doing what she needs to do can right, she ambition. She's going if, for it. Yeah, she she knows what she wants, and she is not going to let competition stand in her way. I can understand that. Uh, yeah, no, I was I was totally team Jughead for some reason. I don't know if it's because I ate so many burgers as a kid, and he did that, <laughs> but. He just he he existed in such a way that I understood it. And then when I got older and I started to really enjoy the big Lebowski, it began to make sense to me. I'm like, oh, I liked Shaggy. I liked Jughead. I liked the big okay, maybe I'm just a California stoner surfer kid. Like that may be what I am. <laughs> um, so I, 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 a couple more questions before we let you get out of here. Like I'm, I'm curious when, when you do approach representation, when you decide, all right, I am setting the, you know, the wasp straight white male to the side, he's getting dumped to the side. What is it that, what, what do you like to play with? Cause it's, it's now a playground that you can understand a little bit better. You're starting to dive closer into yourself. What comes out of that experience? You know,
3: I don't know that it's quite that, um, l- it's never me consciously going, okay, I'm going to set the, the straight white male aside. I just, you know, I try to write uh, the stories that appeal to me, characters that a- appeal to me, and also things that, you know, I think my own life experiences kind of just drive a story to have, you know, even if I am writing a straight white man, they're still going to be part of my life and my point of view in there. Um, so I don't know that it's quite so calculated. I do prefer uh, writing female characters and female heroes uh, just because I like to write things that um, that I would most want to read, uh, you know, either me as a little girl if I'm writing kid stuff or me as an adult. So so I do tend to write more female characters. Um, but that's kind of always how, how I look at or go through anything that I'm writing is just, you know, what story do I, what do I want to communicate? What story would I like to read? you know, what message would I like people to, to, to come away with? So it's really, to me, it's more about telling a good story, connecting with people in whatever way that is, whether it's to try to, to help people laugh or cry or feel inspired or feel scared or, you know, come to some, you know, greater truth about the, the world if I get so lofty. But, you know, I, I think it's more about that. At the end of the day, it's really about telling a good story. And I think the best stories uh, represent everyone.
1: Oh, I 100% agree. I, for the sake of conversation, sometimes like to set aside myself because it's not always about me. You know, I I, get it. Yeah, That's, that's a good way to be. I I try to anyway, like, I mean, I realize that I I do like a lot of stuff about me as a lot of humans do, but I, I've, I've become more conscious about setting myself aside in a conversation and just being a supportive listener, you know, not necessarily having to be in an active role, but I am curious because you brought up horror and, and Mm -hmm. I do love, I do love horror. It's good. You know, we're approaching Halloween. We're not there yet, but we're Mm -hmm. approaching it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you go from writing kids to now you now you're now you're writing John Carpenter. So <laughs> how the hell do you scare the people? Oh God, what's that's, your process there?
3: That's fun because that's about uh, I, that always has me digging deep into what scares me. Um, which is a fun you know other than like spiders. I haven't written anything about spiders. I'm afraid of spiders, but I don't know how universal that is. Um, so, I. I mean, uh,
1: I once yelled at, at my roommates because it was like a spider on something. And uh, m- my girlfriend at the time flicked it. And we were, we I will admit, we were a bit saucy. And I was like, you flicked an unknown spider? And we all just freaked out because we had no idea what kind of fi- spider she flicked. And That's yeah, hilarious. I'm terrified of them too. That's my little story.
3: That's hilarious. Yeah, no, but for me, it's just, it's really about what scares me or what I like. Um, I've noticed that, Several of my, I've noticed a, a trend within myself that um, multiple stories from the different volumes of Tales for Halloween Night, um, I've done revenge stories more than once. I'm really, <laughs> really big on revenge. I like a good comeuppance probably because in real life it's hard to actually exact revenge. But in fantasy, you know, you can go all in and like have it get as gory and as horrifying as you would really like. Um Which probably says something about my own psyche.
1: (laughs) I think someone once said on Twitter, there are only three reasons to write love, revenge and sex. And you're lying to yourself if it's about any of anything else. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a revenge writer. I mean, me too. I think, I
3: think for the most part, I'm a revenge writer. Um, I, I, I love a good revenge story. I really do.
1: I, it's, there are just, I had a dentist this past week that like we, we, when I signed up to the dentist, I went over there letting them know that I had a secondary insurance. And I specifically told the dentist that I was going there for that reason. The day after I had a procedure, half of a procedure done, mind you, the, or the day of, excuse me, they call me after it's over. And then they then tell me if I want to get the second half of it because they decided they finally got the call that they're out of network on my secondary insurance. Oh, no. I had to pay full price. And the lady slipped up and said, Yeah, you know, we 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 applied in February. And I said, I didn't become a client until March. If you were trying to get out of network in February, why didn't you say something to me then, especially when I told you I was switching to your dentist for this reason? And she didn't really have an answer for that. But it all led to a a whatnot where the dentist is like, you need to get the hell out of my office before I he called the cops. And I'm like, dude, this oh my is God. ridiculous. But yeah, I have like a thousand revenge stories going through my head right now. So I totally feel you like I could I could write something nasty about a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I just That's I just it. could. So I am curious. Now, we, we talked about Archie. So mm-hmm. before we let you go, I got to know what's your favorite now? Not necessarily in order, but maybe top five comics or 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 writers that you in your personal time, like to read or maybe even are inspired by?
3: Oh my God. There's so many that that's, I mean, writers that I love, uh, you know, um, I've always been a Gail Simone fan. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
3: I I love her a lot. And then also she, she works with my wife. So that's, you know, I'm also pretty biased because they have crosswind together. Um,
1: She's so but, magnificent. She's so magnificent.
3: Before, you know, it's not like a, you know, it wasn't a... Just because she works with my wife, I'll put it that way.
1: She She's just fantastic, man. Like, I, I love her on Twitter. I love her in general. I love her work. I flock to it. Like, if I had to list probably my three favorite writers, like, Gail Simone is going to be up there. Kelly Sue DeConnick is going to be up yes. there. Yes, yes. And... Who's probably my third? I'm trying to decide between a couple people. Uh, and now I'm forgetting her name. She just recently wrote on The Punisher uh, for Marvel. It's Rachel something. God, I'm a horrible person.
3: No, I know. Yeah, I know. who she is. Those are all, I mean, amazing, amazing people. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, and, and then... I, I do want to talk about this real quick because you are a voice. You you mentioned earlier on the podcast that you've never been a superhero. I say nay to that. Because I have seen some of the responses to letters that you have written to people. And uh-huh. what I enjoy about your politics on Twitter is that you are the type of person who seeks solutions while engaging in an argument. Like you've no time to suffer fools, nor does nor do most people these days. But you're not above trying to elevate the conversation. And and you even have links on, on your profile to articles you have written that have sincerely helped people. Uh, Trump voters who who claim that they love me. Uh, There was one you wrote a couple weeks ago that the title escapes me now, but it was about the border. That's what it was. Uh Uh, And and so people do look to you. I would say that to some people, you using the platform as large as you have to the benefit of others. Is that not somewhat heroic? Is that not (laughs) what we write about?
3: I mean, thank you for that. (laughs) That means a lot to me, um, and it is, it's is—it's something I try to do, you know, I have, I'm fortunate enough to have a platform, um, and I i feel like, uh, you know, its it makes me feel good to be able to use it in ways that I think will maybe benefit others, maybe make the world a better place uh, as much as I can. I think, you know, we should all do our part, and part of mine is that I'm a big mouth, and I have a big platform to use my big mouth, so, you know, and I'm a writer, so so I write, um, and I try to offer, like you said, I try to offer solutions and not just add to the noise um, uh, ways that people can take action and then, you know, try to support other people. It's it's kind of the same way I feel about, you know, also being like an out married lesbian mom. You know, I try to also kind of live out loud that way because I'm hoping that people that are that are younger or struggling or are closeted can can see that and maybe get a little bit of hope. You know, it's just just in general, it's it's how I try to live my life in a way that maybe my my daughter can be proud of one day.
1: <laughs> I, I have zero doubt that one day she will be enormously proud. Of that, I am certain. Thanks. Now, since this is a conversation about representation, my producer has let me know that he would like to chime in. And I have a feeling that uh, he may inspire you in some way. Scotty, what do you have?
0: Hey, Amanda, what's up? Hi. So you have done just about... Everything that anybody would want to do in <laughs> media, at least. Um, my first question, actually, is what is the favorite thing that you've gotten the opportunity to do? If you have a favorite. Oh my god, that's so hard.
3: Um, okay, I will. It, this might be like a multiple multiple answer answer. Um, probably the most fulfilling thing that I've done is the. The four years that I wrote for former Vice President Al Gore for um, 24 Hours of Reality, uh, just because it it it's such a huge global broadcast, um, and I got to work with and meet you know world leaders and all kinds of you know passionate scientists and celebrities and musicians and everyone coming together to try to to work for um, you know the cause of actually saving the world and you know creating a future for our kids. It just Nothing has ever felt bigger,
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, and also nothing's been as as difficult. I write the the twenty four hour script on my own, and it's about five hundred and sixty pages. Um, wow! Each wow. year, and then I sit in the control room for the entire broadcast, so I'm I'm there for like about thirty six hours because we do some pre tapes too. So it's it's just such a it's such a, a a giant undertaking that every year I feel like I have. Really accomplished a big feat, and um, so I'd say that's probably the most satisfying thing that I've done, um, just on multiple le- levels because I feel good about the cause, and then also it's it's so hard that I feel good about it. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, but you know the, the the comic stuff too. Honestly, you know the first time I got to write Wonder Woman blew my mind. Um, the the first time I wrote Teen Titans Go, my daughter was a big fan of the cartoon already. And mm-hmm. so it was so cool for me to, the first time, cause that was the first time that I worked on a kid's book. So that was the first time I got to write for something that she loved and then got to read it to her. Um, and that was like, I don't know. It was like the coolest feeling in the world to feel like a cool mom. Uh, so that's, that's way up there too. But I, I've been really lucky and I kind of love all of it as much as that's a cop out.
0: <laughs> I don't think I, could have answered that question any better. Uh, you gave a lot of detail, so I appreciate that. And I completely understand that it's, it'd be really hard to choose because you've gotten to do a lot of cool stuff. My second question is along those lines. And since we're talking about diversity, I should mention that I myself have a physical disability. And as somebody who has a journalism degree, I'm trying to develop a platform for myself because there isn't much representation for people with physical disabilities or disabilities in general in the media. Yeah. And so my question to you would be, what advice would you have for somebody who's listening or a kid who wants to try and develop a platform or have a voice in the future to try and create some lasting change as you have, um, to make a difference? I think
3: the, I think the biggest thing is exactly what you're talking about. Just get, create your own content and get it out there because, um, you know, as we've all seen, you know, it comes when people, when companies see interest and numbers and buzz around something, that's when they decide to start investing in it. I mean, that's just the reality that we live in. So creating your own content and showing you know, because there's obviously there's a lack of it and there's a need for it. And there are people who obviously would benefit so much from it. So just getting out there, creating your own stuff and putting it out there. You know, we live in in this time where with social media, you can put your work in front of everyone very publicly. So, you know, make something, put it online online then put it on Instagram and Twitter and Tumblr and, you know, literally anywhere you can. And, you know, the more that you do it and the more that you, the right, the better that you get, the more you create, you know, your, your platform will just grow. I, my first comic stuff was uh, doing web comics that were online um, with my wife. And so it was very much creating my own content. Um, so, you know, I kind of started in that same grassroots type of way and it, you know, it it does work out eventually if you just keep at it.
0: That's awesome. You're making me feel better about uh, the path that I've chosen. <laughs>
3: I I think you should absolutely do it. It's needed. You know, yeah. you
0: need it and want it, and you're not alone in
3: that. I I and who better to to talk about that experience than someone
0: who's living it? Exactly.
1: Scotty and I actually go back quite a ways. Like we've been together since I started covering Fresno State and. Scotty had kind of been around on one of the other sites and I just kind of rolled him in to the team and I kept, I kept feeding him stuff everywhere we went because why don't we just develop a damn friendship is really what came out of it. And I'm like, right. he's just, he's just a friend. He's a really good friend. He's really reliable and he knows his stuff and we just kind of, we kind of kept at it and we're, Went to games together. And, you know, Scott, Scotty would do the best. Like, I, I will tell you this, man. I've seen able bodied reporters that do less coverage than Scott did on the sidelines in a wheelchair straight out. Like, that's he, he went out there and goes after it. So I've been telling him he needs to go after it and keep putting this content out there. And I'll tell you now, Scott, if you do it, I will share it.
0: Awesome. Thanks. And Amanda, so. I have just followed you on Twitter, so you gained another Twitter follower too. Oh, fantastic! I will, I
1: will,
3: I will follow you back when we're uh, when we're done with this for sure.
0: Cool. So
1: before I let you go, what I want to do, Amanda, is let you tell people a where they can find you on social media, and b a couple projects that you're working on that you would like to put out there to to I don't know generate interest. Maybe you've got an issue that you're really digging up coming. Whatever it is, whatever the hell you want to talk about, this is your time.
3: Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm on Twitter literally all the time and that's at Amanda Dibert And because my last name is German, it's D-E-I-B-E-R-T, which is super confusing. Um, right now, I just finished a run of DC Superhero Girls. It's called Weird Science. It's 14 chapters. It's all available digitally. Uh, they're 99 cents a chapter. So if you've got... Any kids in your life who enjoy, you know, it's it's all the DC superheroes. It's Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Zatanna, Batgirl, Bumblebee, um, Green Lantern. So if you've got especially young girls that want to check out something, I super recommend um, downloading an issue or all 14 of those. Um, and then I am right now working on... It'll be out in January, uh, a lesbian detective noir comic for Bedside Press called Work for a Million, which is an adaptation from a pulp novel that was published in the 80s. So, uh, yeah, get ready for that, too, because it'll be really cool and kind of sexy.
1: I actually was hoping that you were going to bring that up. And I was like 95% certain it was you that was going to be redoing that series. And I still have the visual in my head of her sitting on the toilet, gun in hand, just kind of draping down cigarette out of her mouth. I am like that visually is permanently stuck in my head. Oh, that that's a cover from Crosswinds. That's
3: the comic that my wife did with um, Gail Simone wrote that.
1: Okay. All right. So that's why that visual is stuck yeah. in my head. But I yeah. know I read at least a, a newsletter on the other one. Yeah.
3: Yes. But that visual, um, my wife did use me as the model for that character. So that's probably why you're associating it with me. Um, <laughs> well, because I, my face. Um, so, so not a weird thing to... Not a weird thing to attach to me
1: in your head. Oh, okay. That, then that makes sense. I just, that, there are certain, I, that comic to me was very Punisher esque, and I am a diehard Frank Castle fan, so mm-hmm. the image drew me in. It oh, just yeah, it's feels great. like it,
3: Crosswind is amazing, and I mean, I have nothing to do with it other than, you know, my wife uh, is one of the creators, so obviously I'm very invested in it. Um, But it's, it's so good. It's just, Kat did beautiful work. Gail did amazing writing as always. Like, it's just, I can't recommend it enough.
1: Now I'm going to have to go and get it. I'm just going to go and get it. I have digital comics coming out the wazoo. All right. Well, (laughs) <laughs> I, I, it's if it's stuck in my head, I might as well indulge myself, Absolutely. right? Like that's how it goes. Absolutely. So, all right, well, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and uh, you know, as as that when that thing comes out, we will definitely have to have you back on to promote it and talk about it. Sure. Um, but thank you so much for coming on and talking representation today because I've been wanting to do an episode like this for a minute. I just needed to pin down somebody who had the moxie to do it. And I know I picked the right person.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun.
1: Thanks, Thanks Amanda. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Later. And we are back with Part B. Ah, today, Adam and I. Adam, welcome. Thank you. Bill Coman, you know, whatever. Um, we are going to be talking about Spider-Man so if you happen to have not seen Far From Home this would be a great time to turn the podcast off because spoilers abound conversation abound uh analysis abound so adam i'm going to kick it right over to you uh we generally i believe came out of uh came out of the movie feeling approximately the same way about it so uh why don't you take the platform and tell them how we felt
2: uh so well we felt like it was a solid film and we felt like uh, Mysterio was good. Um, what else did we feel like, Josh? I'm just trying to think back to our very, very brief. It conversation. was, it was it, it,
1: like I I felt that it was a solid film, but that there were there were problems with it. Like there there were issues with it. It did some things that it's like, oh okay. Uh, like I, I I guess what I was saying is I would have it about the middle of the pack in terms of of the MCU. Like, yeah, it's probably one of the more comic accurate villains we've seen, if we're being honest, especially when they did the Mysterio uh, uh, the holograms and, and special effects and things like, oh, good Lord, that was that was a visual treat. Like that was one of definitely the high points of the movie was Mysterio. Um, 100%. But then there were other things that 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 uh, they lied to fans about the multiverse uh and, and and I kinda do have a problem with that. Like <laughs> you can't market something that big and then yank it out from underneath fans, like <laughs> it just I don't know. I I that that did kind of bother me. But then you also had the return of J.K. Simmons, who in my mind is the only person that should ever play J. Jonah Jameson from now until the end of history. Um let me and, ask you about that. Let me ask you about that for one second.
2: There's something okay. there's something about that that um that scene that um I noticed and I, I don't I don't know if anyone's talked about it, but why was it
1: bald? I was gonna I knew you were gonna say that. Damn it, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, the hair, it threw you off, didn't it? Yeah. Because he like, wasn't just bald, he, he had those like that that he had that bald person clinging on to hair pattern in the back where it's just like, dude, just get rid of it, man. Like, just get rid yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> was that a different thing? Like, did you not know want to wear a hair face or what? <laughs> it, it was kind of odd. I will tell you the look didn't, the voice was there, so I had no issue with it, but yeah, the look completely threw me off. mm. I, it did in the theater. I won't lie about it. I I, I mean, it didn't in any way, I want to be clear, diminish my my love of seeing him back because they can fix a hairpiece. You know, they can get some feedback on that and then just be like, you know, throw it off in a passing way. Be like, oh, well, uh, you know, if, look, if Trump maybe, can do it, I can do it or whatever. Something like that. You know, just, maybe just
2: the thing. Maybe, maybe it was a stipulation. Maybe he didn't want to do it
1: yeah no, I mean, it definitely could have been that way from j k. Simmons, but i I don't know that dude he nothing about his personality suggests he's like that though. like he he does what needs to be done. Granted, he's been bald in a lot of things, but i I don't know i i, I don't I don't have an issue with it, but it is definitely something that was worth discussing. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to why Marvel chose that direction, that yeah. artistic direction. Can
2: you just uh, give myself and and the fans as well a refresher of what he said in that scene?
1: Oh, J Jonah Jameson. Yes. All right. So uh, uh, J Jonah Jameson initially pops up. We 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 hear his voice, or we get a Daily Bugle report uh, mm-hmm. of of uh, of the incident with Peter Parker and Mysterio, uh, and the world uh, thinks that you know Peter Parker is both Spider Man and. Uh, uh well the world doesn't quite know this yet but Peter Parker is both the Night Monkey and Spider-Man which Night Monkey is awesome. Uh, um but uh but uh, uh, they they cover the fact that uh Mysterio had died uh but they also show the edited footage that Mysterio had sent in uh that portrays Peter Parker uh as a villain um and then Jonah Jameson pops up first you hear the voice then you see J.K. Simmons and J.K. Simmons then tells uh, the world that we have an exclusive report too and reveals to the world that Peter Parker is Spider-Man so (laughs) we we now have Spider-Man and and he says that Spider-Man is the menace who killed Mysterio because of course that's you know he calls him the masked menace Um, and and (coughs) Then that's that scene, and then we get another scene at the end where uh, we find out that... Well, before before we that? get to that,
2: let's, let's focus on the first scene, finishing talking about the first scene first before we okay, cover that enough. one.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. All right, all right, all right. What, what do you got on that first scene? So Peter Parker's basically a fugitive now. For, and the world knows who he is, which I don't necessarily think is a big deal because the world knows who everybody else is. So, I mean... We, the MCU isn't. He was really one of the only heroes that had a secret identity. Like, yeah. they kind of didn't. They kind of just gave that up, gave up pretense, you know? Like, we're not going to mess around with the idea that somebody could pretend to be someone else. Like, it would be really hard. Mm hmm. Especially so- in a world of superheroes where. Like, why wouldn't other superheroes go and follow that person back to their place to find out exactly who they are, just for, you know, in case that person turned evil? Like, I just imagine it's it's pointless to to try and mess around with dual identities. But yeah, we have Peter Parker as a fugitive. Does that does that? Do you like that?
2: Well, I think it it, it flips the script, obviously. Kind of, um,
1: maybe. Because well, J. Jonah Jameson has printed a lot of wild shit in the past, and not everything that he says, even though he revealed – like, Fury knows that it wasn't Spider-Man. And we'll get to that, but Fury knows. Yeah. He got a – so so why would – if you had somebody who was directly tied to law enforcement and and knew all this stuff, like, you know, Fury – I mean, there is no shield, so we don't have a structure right now. But Fury's still a pretty powerful dude.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and and just because J. Jonah Jameson showed that Spider-Man is a fugitive or a menace doesn't mean that the world is going to accept that.
2: Yeah, true. But Fury's off-world as well.
1: He is. He is. Mm-hmm. But Talos and Soren are handling stuff, which we'll get to. But But, like... Let's talk about something for a minute. Speaking of those two, go on. You're telling me Edith couldn't tell? Like this massive system that Peter Parker designed, or excuse me, that Tony Stark designed and bequeathed to Peter Parker, it couldn't tell Ooh. that we had two scrolls?
2: Well, I guess, yeah, I guess.
1: We we do need to talk about that. How did it not know that they those two were scrolls? How did it not at least identify them as not Fury and not Hill, even if he didn't necessarily he knows what a scroll is.
2: Well, I guess it works off facial recognition, that, that system, right?
1: I don't know. It seemed to be reading a lot of everything around it, like bio and stuff like that. Like it it was spitting back information to Peter if he wanted it. Yeah. Somebody needs yeah. to tell me how he can hear the glasses talk, but we'll, we'll just <laughs> <laughs> we'll just skip that problem. Uh, yeah, I wonder um, the same thing, actually. Huh? I went the same thing, actually. Yeah. It's really weird. Like, I mean, how did, how do you, the, like, does a piece go into your ear? I don't, I don't know. We never, I didn't, maybe there was a scene when he first put the glasses on where like, you see a little piece fold over the ear or something. And I just missed it. Mm. Uh, Cause I did only watch the movie once, but so we've got a fugitive Spider-Man who has a system of drones, uh, that apparently could kill anyone. And, uh, yeah. Fury's not necessarily around. Tony Stark is dead. But then we have a moment between Happy and Peter where we definitely see shades of Tony Stark as Peter is designing his new suit. Which part was that? When they, that. The, when they were on the plane. Okay yeah and when yep. there was this desi- when peter was designing the suit that he would eventually use to fight mysterio
0: because okay. his
1: suit was damaged and happy's all so you're you're worn down your tech doesn't work he's like giving him that speech like what are you gonna do and he's like oh well, i'm gonna design a new suit and then he's over there and happy looks and like peter's got the you know pulling parts out and stuff, you know, holographically, like, nope, let's get rid of that, let's put that in, let's get rid of that, and and yeah, you, like, it was shades of Iron Man building his armor. It was totally meant to be that. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I'm curious, what what did you, what, where do you have this on the MCU Pantheon? Uh,
2: look, I think it, I've got a few things to say. Firstly, I think to really sort of gauge that after one viewing is hard, I think I need to watch it again and let it sit with me. Um, when I watched it, I probably wasn't in the best headspace when I watched it, but, um, I tried to immerse myself in it and, and I did enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it didn't, I wasn't mind blown or it or anything like that. Um, but with that said, I also felt the kind of same way when I first watched um, uh, what's it called, uh, Homecoming. I wasn't like amazed by it, but upon the second and third viewing, I really enjoyed it. So it could be one of those films once again where I have to sit have to sit with it for a bit. Um, with that said, uh, at this stage, i probably have it like you you would in, like middle of the pack, um, but that obviously is subject to change one thing that bugs me about the film and about the about both of the films to be honest and this is to do with the character itself is that we've lost the characters lost part of its essence and that is his smart ass nature when he's dealing with villains that seems to be almost non-existent
1: you know it's um It's one aspect of Peter that I feel that they nailed with Andrew Garfield. There were a lot of things that didn't work about Andrew Garfield's character, but Peter's personality mid-fight and the amount of trash-talking that he does Mm -hmm. is definitely something like in the comics Peter is more like Tony Stark is in the MCU like yeah granted he does do a lot of pop culture references and kind of is a little silly like Tom Holland is but he's also a massive trash talker like Tony Stark Mm. and and I I don't know If the reason that they haven't done that yet is because you've already had those sort of alpha personalities that do that, and they wanted to sort of mold Peter a little differently, and maybe we'll see him shift into that role as he becomes more comfortable. Because obviously, look, dude, he he got some stuff from Tony, clearly. Like, Tony left him some stuff, so... (laughs) It is what it is. The character's obviously going to grow into more tech and, and more stuff and, and things like that. Um, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, that will add a little bit to the personality and cause him to talk more trash as he knows he has more gadgets and things uh, to get out of danger.
2: Where do you stand on that? What what you just said, what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Um, the, I guess... Specifically more talking about... The gadgets and the tech side of thing.
1: It doesn't bother me, man. Like Peter Parker's had gadgets and tech his whole his whole Spidey career. Like I've seen some people bring that up, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, it sort of takes him out of his working class roots." And I'm like, "You mean those same roots that saw Tony Stark give him an iron spider suit, uh, Mister Fantastic, or whatever? Give him the spider mobile. Uh, he's had a glider." Well, uh, um uh, yeah. a he's he's had his own version of the bat signal um spider tracers uh, you know where he's even talked about in the comics, how much money it costs to build web fluids in the Brian Michael Bendis ultimate Spider-Man series. When he first had the Vinium symbiote on it, he was saying, Oh God, this is great. It thinks, and I can just shoot webs and I don't have to use any fluid. Like, man, do you know how expensive he's talking to himself, but he's just like, do you know how expensive it was to do that? Like, I remember one time he busted a villain and he's like, dude, that's 10 bucks worth of webbing right there. Like, so if you, if you think that like, okay, 10 bucks worth of webbing, it can hold somebody's hands. Like, man, he's using a lot more than $10 worth of webbing. So this is a dude that's had tech been gifted stuff and comes up with stuff that really would cost millions of dollars to research and develop that he just didn't magically invents in his garage because that's the world we live in i had no issue with the fact that tony stark gave him this edith system and that happy had a flipping system uh in the computer that could bill him you know build him a multi-million dollar suit to fight mysterio like i don't have an issue with that like I don't want to I don't want to like spend time watching a character work for money in a superhero movie like that's so passe to me like I'm not going to the movies to necessarily see them budget and pay rent like look you can show that they're the every person but we really don't need to get into that stuff unless it's for a specific purpose and a specific theme. Um, but yeah, I saw some people had issues with the gadgets that he had and just felt it was out of character for Peter Parker. And I just questioned whether or not we read the same Spider-Man as a child or even mm-hmm. as an adult. Because every yeah. Spider-Man comic that I've absorbed, he's got some shit that I couldn't afford if I had three jobs.
2: Yeah, you you, you nailed that, Brent. You nailed it. Like, you, you, put, it, you put it into perspective. I, I hadn't seen people complaining about it. I was just... When you brought it up, I just I just thought about uh,
1: somebody wrote an article about it, man.
2: Did they like, really?
1: Yeah, they wrote an article about it, and people were like passing it around, kind of mocking it. And it's like, seriously, dude, like do you even read Spider-Man up to the task on Twitter? Like he's really the one that, that pointed out a lot of this, these gadgets. I mean, not that I didn't know this, you know, some of this stuff off the top of my head too, but he's the one that sort of created the thread that I drew from when I'm listing off these gadgets and it's, you know, it jibes with what I read. Like, I don't remember every Spider-Man story, so of course I, you know, I, I'm not familiar with every gift he's been given by every superhero, but I am more than familiar with enough crap that he's inherited over the years that it's like, let's kind of move on from this. Like, you're bitching about that, don't you wonder where Frank Castle gets 9,000 guns? Like, <laughs> do you know how much a gun costs? Have you tried to buy a gun? Have you tried to buy the type of guns that Frank uses? (laughs) Like... Like, come on, man. Like, if we're bitching about that kind of stuff, then there's – that's a really slippery slope to me is kind of what I'm saying. And I'm not saying you were. I know you weren't. You were just asking the question. But this sort of comes from that article that was written because I read the article and I walked away from it going, this is dumb as hell. Not that – you know, nothing against the writer. I'm sure – you know, content is king on the internet and and I've written some really stupid stuff too. But – I, I I, let me just say the argument wasn't really persuasive to me in the column. I'm like, I have read enough Spider-Man that I know for some some way or another, whether he's, you know, building Parker Industries and becoming a billionaire or or crashing back down to his roots. He has never wanted for gear and equipment ever, except Ooh. in the very early days. And they sort of move past that rather quickly. So I'm curious why people are nostalgic for like 1960s early comics where Peter Parker's wearing a yellow vest. And it's like this just isn't practical in 2019, dude. Yes. Just like the school that Peter went to right now, he would most certainly be the minority. <laughs> like maybe back then it was an all-white school, but it sure as hell isn't now. His neighborhood is massively different. Yeah. So, you know, stuff changes. And I think that when you read the comics and you sort of apply it, and, and people seem to forget, everybody is looking for a one-to-one translation from comics to the MCU. The MCU is its own thing. And that is what is great about it. If people would stop thinking it, thinking of it as a representation of the main marvel continuity just in movie form and start thinking of it as like the ultimate universe just another sandbox that marvel can play with i think it would go a lot better because the mcu is never meant to be a one-for-one translation they haven't tried that since the beginning have they been faithful absolutely man that's one of the things they're the best on is being faithful to that but look they've had some horrible misses along the way like the Red Skull for all intents and purposes spent the entire movie literally running from Captain America like at one point he starts flipping switches and saying "Ah, we're outmatched and it's one dude he's like "Up, it's over we should just blow up this facility and I'm like, and I get that people love Hugo weaving. I love the Red Skull. I'm happy to see him and stuff, but come on, man. that wasn't exactly how it went down in the comics. The Red Skull wasn't a giant bitch who took off and ran, <laughs> like Captain America had some knockdown drag out fights with the Red Skull, and the Red Skull has gotten the better of Captain America on more than one occasion. Don't even get me started on the m c u s representation of Mandarin like." It's never meant to be a one-for-one. One. We have we have things that are drawn from the Ultimate Universe, which is where Ned comes from. We have draw- things that are drawn from the main, main Marvel continuity. It is an amalgam of all of that that exists in an entity unto itself. As People need to start thinking of the MCU in those terms.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair.
1: I mean... If you start thinking of the MCU like that, it all becomes a lot better. Like I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter and they were like, look, I think they should have incorporated the death bit into the Infinity Gauntlet. And I'm like, look, they did, though. They started out by talking about Thanos courting death in Infinity War and Endgame. Thanos talked about killing people nonstop. He talked about death nonstop. People thought of death as a character, you know, and death is. Death does exist as a character in the Marvel Universe. But Jim Starlin was a man of ideas and thoughts and philosophy first and foremost. And when Starlin is writing about death, he's also talking about the concept of it. Somebody feeling like death is the ultimate liberation. That by killing somebody, you are freeing them. You're freeing them from from the shackles of life, and 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 liberating them. And Thanos truly thinks in these terms. He thinks that he is helping. He is delivering the world's salvation. He worships death as a concept. We just didn't have to deal with the monotony of the physical manifestation of death into a love story slash I'm going to kill everyone story that, frankly, just doesn't work in Hollywood. When's the last time you really bought somebody saying, I love someone so much, I'm going to kill everyone? Mm. Does that even make sense on a fundamental level? No. No. No, it doesn't. Thanos loves death so much that he is going to kill everyone. Like, Why would you want to see that story? What do you get out of that story? Has anyone ever been like, you know what? I'm the guy who loves death. You know, like I'm the dude. It's me. Like, I mean, come on. No, like. We do, nobody wants to see the physical manifestation of things because I love someone so much that I'm going to kill everyone just to try and please them. It's a really bad storyline, if I'm being honest. It's not compelling. It's derivative. It's basic. We've seen it so many times in films. Now, somebody having an abstract love of death, a true villain that wants to wipe out half of the universe to save it from itself – Oh, we've not really seen that in comics, but now we have, and I genuinely think from the bottom of my heart that Marvel could have absolutely pulled off the physical manifestation of death as a storyline in the MCU. I believe this. I know this. I've seen them do crazy stuff. A tree that speaks five words is beloved by all. Marvel could make death happen if they wanted but I also believe in the bottom of my heart that this version of Thanos resonated and would have resonated much better with the audience than if they had gone with death. Would it have still been a critically acclaimed movie? Sure. I do believe that. I believe this version was better, though. It's more accessible.
2: Yeah. We've slightly gotten off topic anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> just a, Just a Josh super tangent there, folks. I Um, like
1: comics, man. What's that? I said I like comics, and I think this stuff all ties together.
2: No, I mean, I'm just staring.
1: Who's ever started about talking about comics and stayed on track? But yeah, getting back to Spider-Man: Far From Home. What do you want to see now? Obviously, we are now done with the Infinity Saga. This ends it. This this is that's the 23rd movie. Phase three is now officially complete. We have seen phase one through three. Um, How many times we've seen it is somewhat of a miracle, Uh, but we have seen it. What do you want to see next? Now that you know how Spider-Man ends.
2: What do I want to see next in the next Spider-Man film?
1: Uh, Sure. That and and phase four going forward. Now that we know where everyone is positioned going forward, what type of stuff would you like to see? Well, look. At Comic-Con. because that's coming up.
2: Yeah, look, you, you're asking me. I think three questions in one. There. Um, firstly, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna stay on track and go in order. So, from Spider-Man perspective, in the third one, obviously he's public enemy number one now. So, I'd like to see a whole heap of badasses go after him. That's what I want to see. I don't want it to just to be a one Maybe villain. Maybe like film.
1: six badasses, perhaps.
2: Yep, like six bad badasses, perhaps. Exactly. You you um, feel
1: like you've waited long enough? Like yeah. this is the proper way to build to the Sinister Six, right?
2: Yeah, it's got to be right. Like it's got to. We've got to be close. If we're, if we're not there, we've got to be bloody close.
1: We've got how many of them do we have? vulture vulture shocker technically he does exist
2: Mm -hmm. vulture shocker mysterio
1: and matt gargan
2: yeah And, and that's right yep um so yeah we're still waiting on who dr octopus
1: Yep, who you could introduce is doing science experiment on somebody like Matt Gargan turning him into Scorpion.
2: Mm-hmm. And what about, uh, who's another one that we're missing? We need
1: probably Rhino or Craven.
2: Yeah, Craven. See, now if you're thinking about like, yeah, but isn't there plans for a Craven film from Sony though? Just a standalone
1: film? Uh, They've been talking about it, but there's really nothing behind it. I think the Black Cat um, and Sable film has more attached to it than Mm. does uh, the Craven film. I think the Craven film is just one of those nebulous concepts that Sony has thrown out there and said, we're we're eventually going to get here because all this other stuff is popular. But but yeah. I I don't know if Craven's own movie is true. Like if it is, there's still the question of is that going to be included in the MCU? Because even Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige finally both said that Benham doesn't exist in the MCU.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: They they both said that. So where where we once thought that maybe Sony's films would would trickle in, we're finding out that they're not. So now. Do, does Tom Holland go and play with Venom? How does that work? Do they cast a different Spider-Man to play yeah, with Venom? Not, a, a different person? Tom Holland can't because he's contracted to, Mar- to Marvel. No, he's not. He's contracted to Sony. Is he? Yeah. He's contracted, he's contracted with both. But Tom Holland, Sony owns everything on this, which means mm. the only thing that Marvel gets out of the deal is merchandising. That is it. That is it. They get all the toys, all the pops, all that crap. Marvel gets that. Sony is in charge of production. Sony is in charge of paying for the film. Sony is in charge of hiring and paying the actors, which then means that Tom Holland is officially hired by Sony. But Tom also, Tom Holland also had a contract to appear in a certain number of uh, MCU films, and Home or, uh, Far From Home is officially the last film that Tom Holland was scheduled, contracted to appear in, in the MCU. Right. That's it. He he has completed his contract with Marvel. Sony no longer has any other ties to Marvel unless they renew this deal.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: People were actually confused about it, and they thought the third Spider-Man film would be the end of it. That's not the case. This was the one that fulfilled the contract. Uh, There is a Collider article about it uh, that breaks down Tom Holland's contract with uh, both... Marvel and with Sony, and this is the last film that Tom Holland is is uh, uh, contracted to do through Marvel.
2: Okay. So how many how many how many how many films has he got left on his contract with Sony?
1: Uh, Spider Man three. That's it. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. I
1: mean, that's you count. He's been in Civil War. He's he's been in Infinity War. He's been in Endgame, Uh. He's you know, he's he's been in a number of films and then he's got all of his own uh that he's done. He's 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 done a decent number of movies. It's it's a, like a six or seven movie contract that he's completed.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All let me right. see let Fair me it. see
1: here. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and pull it up. Tom Holland uh, Marvel Contract. Collider.
3: 15,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, he had a six
1: movie Marvel contract, is what we got here. So. Okay. So.
2: Okay. Um. Fair enough.
1: Um. Well. But this was also back when Sony was saying that uh, Zendaya wasn't an MJ and that uh, she wasn't even going to be a love interest for Peter Parker. Or where. It clearly was- appears the opposite. Mm. Yes, Something's so- developing between the two of them, even though she shut him down. Mm-hmm. So, how did, how, what did you like about Zendaya?
0: Um, she was,
2: she was okay. She was good. Yeah, like, you know, I think she fits the, fits the character. Um...
1: You it's like ne- do you like Ned and or or Flash in the movie? Uh,
2: look, I have a couple of issues with the with the film. All right, so one of them i already discussed, and we sort of delved into that, and that was obviously wise wise cracking of of Peter Parker being absent. My other one with the film was that. I felt that there was way too much focus on, on the trajectory of relationships in the film, from Ned and Betty to Happy and Aunt May to Peter and MJ. It was just it was a bit of a, a mushy love fest too much for my liking. Um, I don't know if that was, once again, my mood at the time and if that would grate on me upon a second viewing. But I just felt like that was it was just too much. Do I dislike Ned as a character? No, I like him. He's pretty. He's a, he's, I think he was better in the first one. Um, yeah, I agree. I think he was somewhat marginalized by what I'm talking about,
1: you know, in
2: this film. Um, he was
1: marginalized by the love interest story. It was kind of derivative. In fact, in fact, it was so derivative that it ended at the end of the movie. They they yeah. they broke up at the end of the trip. Like, come on, dude. Right. Did we really need to go through all that?
2: What and that's my point, Josh. It's like, why? What was the point? Like <laughs> If you
1: know, they guys. had stayed together, I'd get it.
2: And the other one? And I just remembered the other one was that Brad douchebag. Like that whole thing. Like I I I just didn't like that at all. Like I get Ned and Betty and I get like Happy and May and blah blah blah, but that whole- that guy
1: the whole I'm fighting like it was. Yeah, it was almost like having Reggie from uh from Archie, like try and yeah. sabotage Archie in <laughs> while he's trying to go after Betty or Veronica.
2: And, and that's what the film felt like. You just nailed it for me. It felt like an Archie comic with all the relationships going on. I was like.
1: Which I got to say, man, I love the hell out of Archie. And if you listen to the first half of this podcast, you will find out how much. So I think it's funny that Archie popped up both on the first and second half of this podcast that had nothing to do with one another. That's how lasting Archie is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Come on. You know, you you read Archie, too. Let's not pretend. No, I never did. You never did? Nope. Oh, man, dude. I feel like you did miss out. I mean, you can cast those comics off as derivative, but when you're a child and and you're trying, I th- those types of comics are so incredibly helpful for preparing you to understand the, the deeper concepts that you get into when you're older. I like the only
2: time I would have seen an Archie comic was like in a newspaper or in like the back of like. Some
1: that's time. true because you are in Australia, so it's not like you grew up where here where they're just in the supermarkets. I suppose. I It was around.
2: It was around. Don't get me wrong. Like it was available in stores, but I, I I only. It was just not my thing. I just never was like into it.
1: Um, yeah. I I had had a very Christian mother, so you know she tried to watch everything i did to a certain point and then she just gave up entirely <laughs> that i guess neither one really worked out for her but you know she was like it, she was okay with me reading comics she just wanted me to read stuff i suppose that was age appropriate for seven eight nine but eventually she got to the point where there was a com like when when i we would get out of church and stuff and she'd go and eat lunch with her friends near the church uh there was a comic store in that same plaza and that's when i started going over there and getting you know, your Spider-Mans, your X-Mens, and so on and so forth. But that's kind of how I got pegged into reading Archie as a child. It was just what was available that I was allowed to read. And I wanted to read comics like everyone else.
2: What was the name of the comic book shop? Uh,
1: for the life of me, I don't remember uh, uh. When, I, when I was a kid. Uh, I'm sh- I'm not even sure if it's still there. I could look it up. I mean, it stands to reason it would be. I mean, but uh, I get to – it was it – was, it was directly adjacent from uh, UCI in Irvine, California, the University of California, Irvine, directly adjacent from there. In fact, it's sort of the shopping center across the street from UCI. So it had places like Steelhead Brewing Company, uh, you know, which is like a microbrewery. I don't know if they're. They used to be a chain, but they had other stuff like Mimi's cafes and stuff like that. You know, crap that parents would go to after church, and it was just. It it wasn't. It wasn't a branded comic shop or anything. It was just like you know, like a Dave's or, or some crap like that that the guy had running, and that's where I'd get my X Men. But I'm 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 bad with names too, though I'm really good with them. But I'm also really bad with them. I don't I don't know how it's possible, but it's a duality that I just have to accept.
0: That is.
1: So. <laughs>
2: yeah, so well, anyway, fair enough. Um, I was just going to say give him a shout out on the, on the show. Um, but back to yeah, back to the movie. Um, yeah, so that was it. Was just a bit it meh that whole that whole aspect of the film for me it just didn't really push it forward for me
1: i totally understand man i totally get it so like i said just just real quickly like what would you like to see in phase four like what would you like to see marvel do now that we know where where all the players are positioned what kind of main story continuities do you want to see we've completed infinity war what 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 would you like to see next
2: well, look, you know the whole extra scene that we touched on briefly from this Spider-Man film kind of just segues into it, doesn't it? it? Even more so than what we already know. You know, we're getting more Captain Marvel. You know, we're going like
1: Doctor Strange too.
2: Yeah, we're going more cosmic, and that's where it's headed. You know, that's we're getting what we're getting Shang-Chi as well. Um, I'm so
1: excited about Shang Chi, truly. I, I do love Shang Chi.
2: Mm, yeah, look, it, it's another character that I think I've mentioned before that you know, I was really mega attached to, but um I like Kung Fu, I love martial arts, I like ninjas, I like all that sort of shit. So yeah.
1: <laughs> it fits oh, the mold, right? Like yeah. I mean, it may not that, be a character that you read, but it certainly fits the stuff you love.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm into. So you know I, I'll be I'll be looking forward to see what they do with that.
1: I also think he's going to kind of take the place of Captain America where you have that serious trainer, you know, the guy who teaches people how to fight better, who sort of takes the front lines on the battle and 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 that's sort of what Shang-Chi is. He's just a very confident walks up to people that are like all you know is kung fu and i'm a superhero and then five seconds later they're on their ass saying whoa and shang chi's just like yep and that was that so i am kind of yeah. looking forward to that like i i do want to see that and let's be real like we know why marvel is tapping into it because that film is going to do insanely well overseas yep
2: yeah, i was literally just about to say you know you talk about representation um that's that's what this film's all about. It's to tap into that market that we've t- we've discussed before on the pod, um, you know, and it's going to open the doors for for other characters um, to be in, uh, introduced as well. I dare So,
1: I'm kind of excited for it. Like, I, I understand that it's representation, but at the same time, it definitely fills a need. And Shang-Chi isn't a minor character. He he does tend to jump up when there are major wars and major conflicts. Shang-Chi, uh, does, you know, he has his own moral code, but, you know, he's a hero. So I'm kind of excited for it. And, and the more we hear about Doctor Strange 2, the more I hear about Namor being the villain, uh, along with possibly one other person and I'm just like, oh god yes, if you put Namor in the MCU finally, I'm going to cry. I'm go I'm just, I'm just going to cry. Like, please put him in the MCU. I am so tired of a Namorless MCU. I'm so tired of a Namorless world.
2: Mm. Yeah, it'll be good to see him uh finally get his uh his drew.
1: So no yeah. <laughs> that's about all i got i mean all told i think it was a worthwhile podcast today good that's good i'm pretty excited for uh for uh as uh, comic-con that's coming up as once comic-con's over we'll have even more stuff that we can talk about and bring up and i am sure uh now that marvel has officially announced that they will be in hall h uh, for San Diego, uh, Marvel, uh, DC's taking it off. So the world is going to be watching Marvel. So Ooh. I, I am damn looking forward to some reveals next week, uh, at comic-con you, yourself.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It's a big show. It is, dude.
1: It is. It's where it all comes to, even though trade shows are dying and eventually Marvel's not even going to be doing there. Cause they're just going to do stuff at D 23 but uh yeah i mean right now right now the world is gonna is gonna be watching so i'm kind of excited for it we'll definitely have more stuff to bring up uh (coughs) so with that said um i want to thank our guest amanda dibert for coming on and talking and bsing about comics and life and uh man i'm i'm so looking we will definitely be back after comic-con like I don't know how marked out will be, but I can imagine it will be a lively podcast.
2: Oh yeah. So
1: any, any last words from you, sir?
2: No, I'm, I'm pretty good, man. Just, uh, do it all again next time.
1: All right. Well, we will be back next time as, uh, we find out more information and we know where Marvel is headed. I want to thank everyone for listening, thank uh, Amanda for coming on and talking, and uh, of course I want to thank Scotty for uh, producing and jumping in and asking some questions uh, to Amanda. So that helped fuel the conversation. Um, We will be back next time, so for Adam, Scott, I am Josh, and thank you all for listening to 3rd and Nerd. We'll catch you guys next time.